Welcome to the Brand Design Masters podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build the skills you need to design bulletproof brands for yourself, your business, and for the clients and customers you serve. And now, here's Philip. I'm here today with Chris Doe. And Chris is the founder and CEO of The Future, who's got an impressive YouTube presence as well as podcast. He's the CEO of Blind Inc., which is a business design consultancy um, that specializes in defining brands and business models, user needs, products to help accelerate growth and uh, win customers for the businesses that he works for. He's also the executive producer of The Process. And so welcome, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Philip. So I'd love to talk to you a little bit today about the combination of design and business. But before we get into that, can you share with people a little bit about your own professional journey? I talk a lot about nonlinear career paths, you know, and how jogs along the way can kind of help reinforce people's broader skill sets. Have you had any mm-hmm. of those? Has your career path been really linear? Or talk Oh, not at all. And it keeps changing. And so I think one of the important things in life and in business and in your career is to kind of be open to opportunities when they're knocking at your door. So when I went to design school, I had my heart set on doing editorial design. I was very much influenced by first Neville Brody, then David Carson and some of the early design pioneers. And what I loved about what they did was their playfulness with typography and moving things around on a page. And so that's what I studied and that's what I focused on. While I was getting ready to graduate school, I just so happened to take an After Effects class and to learn animation. And that altered my entire career path and took me down a very different place. So uh, this was uh, in 1995 when I got a school. So I believe the term motion graphics or motion design wasn't yet a term. And the desktop video revolution was just happening. There was a gentleman, his name is Flavio Campa. So for all the old school people who know who Flavio Campa is, he had a company called Campa Visions. And he was one of the early pioneers to use Adobe Premiere to to animate and to use all these video cards that was displacing these million dollar boxes, literally like million dollar boxes where he put the the tools, I guess, in the hands of a designer versus uh, an operator or a technician. And so that that was my first big career zag, if you will. So I set aside this desire to do editorial design, to do music and entertainment packaging to pursue motion design. So that meant I had to learn about After Effects, animation, motion, sequence design, cinematography, visual effects. So that was a really long stack. And for some people, that would seem very daunting because I had just graduated from a very prestigious design school in arts called Arts Center in Pasadena, and I had racked up quite a bill in tuition. So you would say like, well, what, why'd you go to that school then if you're gonna just toss it away? And that's my, that's my whole life philosophy in that you have to be smart enough to realize There's a great opportunity in front of you and to not to hold on to the past. So I'm looking forward now. So that investment got me to this point. Maybe that's what it costs to come to the realization that this is something I want to do. And I was really excited because I thought I had learned a lot already. And now I'm entering into a whole nother field where you'd have to learn about editing, cinematography, about animation and all these other complex things. And that that meant to me at that time, it was a lifetime of learning. And that really turned me on. So I got into motion design. We started doing animated end tags and animated topography. You would watch car spots and you would see these little animated things appear on the screen. That's what we did. But we were hungry. We wanted to do more. So eventually we would keep adding to the roster the things that we did until eventually at the very end, we wind up directing just live action commercials without 
hardly any graphics at all. So we went that whole full spectrum from starting from print design into doing a little bit of animated topography into doing full blown live action directing. So you, you know, one of the things that you talk a lot about on all of your, your channels is this combination of business and design. And you obviously have, and this is one of the things that I happen to possess as well, which is like this combination of left brain and right brain. So you have, mm -hmm. which is kind of a unicorn skill when it comes to designers. A lot of designers have a hard time developing that aspect of their, their, their mind, the, you know, the quantitative rather than the, the qualitative, the ability to right. kind of process numbers and, and, and be planful about things. And so how did that, how did you develop that aspect of your skill set? Was that something you feel like you were born with or did you, how do you, how do you, how did you grow into the understanding of the design, the business aspect of design? Mm. I, I think there's a little backstory that I'm going to tell you, and then you can tell me if it was an acquired skill or I was just born with it. Here's the thing. Both my parents worked in Silicon Valley. They, my dad was an engineer at a semiconductor company. My mom worked as a designer drafter for IBM. This is in the early days of computer-aided design. So I remember she used to have all these drafting tools, uh, architectural rulers, uh, pencils, and all that kind of stuff before they made that big shift. So that's my parents. And my mom, uh, in her heart, really was a fine artist because she painted with oils. She drew with pastels. She was a wonderful artist. But I think in the real world, you have to do something to – and it was uh, a thing where both my mom and dad, they're working parents – and, and it was a dual income household. So she set aside all of her dreams to, to do this very technical thing. And when I look into the, the, the kind of uh, history of both of my, my parents' families, the brothers and sisters, all their siblings, it was two very large families. So we're talking about uh, between my mom and dad, they both had probably eight to 11 brothers and sisters each. And I looked at my dad's side of the family, they're all in computer science and engineering in the technical space. And except for my mom, all my mom's brothers and sisters were, they were dreamers, they were poets, singers, songwriters, um, painters. They were all these kinds of really creative people. And I looked at it like one side of the family seemed to struggle a lot more to make ends meet. And you, you know which, which side that is. But the other ones seemed to just kind of phone it in after a while. They would show up to work and they would look forward to the weekends and I would hear them griping about work. And I'm sure at some point, even in, on a subconscious or an unconscious way, the little kid in me was looking at these two worlds and kind of making decisions. And I didn't want to suffer in my life. My parents didn't want that for me either. So I, I, I resolved in my mind, I'm going to go and become an accountant or an investment banker or a stockbroker or something like that. And when I took the aptitude test in high school, that's what it told me that I should be. I, I, I like to work by myself. I like logic and order. And I'm into details. You, you see, like those things seem to point at a direction if you're looking at a very specific thing. So I thought, you know, I'm going to go to UCLA or something and pursue the economics or business. And that's what it was going to be. But it, meanwhile, all my life, I'd, I'm, I was happiest making things, drawing, painting or doing anything with my hands. I would use an airbrush and spend hours at night just painting instead of doing trigonometry or calculus, or whatever it is I was supposed to be doing. So I was suppressing that creative voice until ultimately I said uh, to myself when I met a real life live graphic designer, maybe this is what I was supposed to be doing anyways. I wasn't very interested in the other analytical stuff. So for my, my entire life, it was about trying to find that balance between the more analytical side and the more creative side. And I think as a business owner, 
as somebody who does design, I get to enjoy both halves. Do you, um, that first designer that you met and, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of shifted your view, that one real life example of what you saw, you, where you saw something could be possible. Do you, mm-hmm. you know, you've obviously gotten to a place in your career where you are extremely accomplished and, you know, we're always, I think all of us are always looking to learn. That's something I also harp on a lot, which is a life of constant learning. And so when you get to a certain level in your career, how do you stay um, challenged? Do you have a, a mastermind group you're a part of where you're not the smartest person in the room? Or do you have a mentor who uh, takes you to that next level? How do you challenge yourself in your own continued growth? Mm. Well, I, I have several of those things, but I think the industry that I work in brings and presents its own challenges all the time, right? So in the very beginning, I think there are only a handful, when I say handful, like probably under um, six or so uh, companies that were doing what we were doing. So the competition was low, the demand was really high. That meant we could charge just about any price. And it also meant there was a lot of room for us not to know what we're doing. It was very forgiving in those early days. And just to put a point on that, I remember a couple of times when we got so much work and I didn't have enough people to help me do the work that I told my producer, I can't take on any more work. What I want you to do from here on out is to just double whatever you think the budget's going to be to make them go away. And surprisingly at that time, she couldn't double it enough for them to go away. And I was very flip at that point because you know it gets to your head. It's like, I don't have time for this. So I'm not gonna do a call. They either tell me they want the job or not. And they still wouldn't go away. Fast forward a couple of years, um, the 9-11 tack, the, the, the dot-com bubble bursting, the giant recession that we were going through and still probably are just on our way out of it right now. All those things present a lot of challenges. And I used to work in advertising, meaning that we made commercials for advertising agencies. People don't even want to watch ads anymore. Social media, all these other kinds of things. So the challenges are just one after the other. And it feels like sometimes like you're standing in the ocean and you're just getting hit with wave after wave. You resolve one thing, you think it's over. And there's a little bit of a lull and then this giant wave comes and hits you in the face. So if anything, I've learned throughout the years is that about every three or four years, if we look back and we haven't changed enough, we're going to be in trouble because the next wave is going to pull us under. And that's one of the reasons why we're one of the longest uh, single owner motion design firms still running today. Our, Our firm was founded in 1995. It's 2018. So that's we're going on 23 years here. So very few companies that I know have consistently remained at that level, right? So that's what we're doing. So the industry itself presents so many challenges for us, and so we have to keep on top of it. Now, luckily for me, I was able to get some really great guidance, and I found a business coach that I had worked with for over 10 years. We would meet one uh, day every single week without fail. Unless I was sick or on a shoot, we would meet. And this is where I started to develop my business acumen, and. I kind of consider kind of how I got my MBA in in business. And you obviously have a very strong brand for your agency and your various agencies and pursuits. And um, you are very much the the face of those um, agencies as well. And so I talk a lot about personal branding on my channel and the importance of developing a personal brand that is an independent of the agency or the company that you may work for, particularly for mm-hmm. designers. And because of exactly what you were just talking about, the the agency landscape has been changing dramatically over the last five years. And and um, 
some of the largest global agencies in the world have been contracting dramatically. And so the, the ability for a designer to own a little bit more of his own destiny is really important. So mm -hmm. how do you um, how do you in your own head separate the Chris Doe brand from the future brand or from the Blind Dink brand? Do you? And um, mm. do you de develop those at all independently? Or do you really, mm -hmm. because you are the face of those brands, really consider yourself one and the same? Mm. Um, that's a really good question. And it's an evolving process. And I want to tell you that uh, tomorrow, if you ask me, it might change again. Who knows? Because originally when we had just one company called Blind, I was very cognizant of it being a team effort. First of all, I didn't want to be in front. I wanted to be behind and support the team. When the team wins, I win, and that's how I wanted to do it. I saw the trappings of putting your name and your face in front of every single thing that you do, in that then every client that calls you wants to work with Guess Who? They want to work with you. Then it becomes very hard to scale. And, and I saw that happening at other firms. I'm not going to mention their name, but I didn't want that to happen. So as often as possible, I would give credit, and I would put the person who was doing the actual work right next to me and talk to them with the client. And eventually I would just recede into the background. This allowed us to scale. So now I had different art directors and creative directors running the project. And we did it very simply. When we talked to a client, I would talk to them just to do the kind of initial onboarding process, do a little handholding to make sure that it felt really good. And when I felt the project had its kind of footing underneath it, I would then just slowly disappear into the background. And from time to time I would check in with the client and say, is everything going well? Uh, is whatever the creative director's name doing a good job. If they're not, just give me a call. I can fire that kid. And then they would laugh and, and they would assure me everything was going great. And so that's how that worked. So Blind is humming along and we would want to uh, enter into competitions and my name wouldn't even be on the entry at all. It would just be them. So I wanted to celebrate the people uh, for both selfish and, and kind of egalitarian reasons. Like, yeah, you're the star, but I also don't want to do all the work. So this is fantastic. This works out for everybody. Now, as we're entering into the age of uh, personal brand, I was starting to wonder when I'm creating posts for Blind, am I posting under the voice of Blind as a company or myself? And this got really kind of murky for me. I was really hesitant to put anything that was too uh, opinionated because I don't want to alienate anybody because Blind is a composite of many personalities, not just my own. Now, we have a design philosophy. We like to celebrate great work. And so I kind of like let it do its thing. And from time to time, I would contribute to the voice of that brand. And then kind of in my own sandbox, I started to explore my personal brand. Now I felt really liberated. So I was posting things on Instagram and on Twitter, and I was developing my own voice. And I found that it was much easier to post authentically as myself without worrying that it's going to damage our brand and potentially our revenue stream. And so as I started to develop, the following that I was able to amass outstripped blind altogether. And so now we have two different personalities, so to speak. One is very active. One is very opinionated and may say things in a bombastic way. While the other one very conservatively talks about projects and what we think of in terms of good design in the world. And so those two brands start to emerge. And now I'm starting to see like, okay, I can go back and to uh, don the persona of blind and write and create for, for blind, but I really don't have that much energy and time. Now, when we created our third company or our second company, the future, our third brand, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to run into the same problem again. Do I write in the we or do I write in the I? 
And in the very beginning, the connection that we have with our community is really through me. So I started writing, I love this. And even though it was the future brand, and I found that it created no more problems for me because people were onboarded from the get go, uh, basically built around my persona and what it is I have to teach. So that becomes a little bit easier and I, I can easily switch between myself and the future and not worry too much about whose voice it is. So because you have so many brands and you know every brand has an ecosystem, so to speak, so they show up in the world in a number of different touch points. And we design those as agencies, we design those for our clients. How, how do you approach doing that for yourself and your brands in terms of where, how do you choose where you're going to show up and where are you showing up? Meaning, are you, when it comes to getting new clients or building your business, are you relying mostly on, you know, client to client word of mouth? Are you, you know, relying on your current touch points like your podcast or YouTube channel to act as a brand develop uh, business development tool for you? Do you mm -hmm. do any advertising? What are your chosen touch points in this world? Mm. Okay, this is complicated now because we have two brands and they market and reach clients in very different ways. So I'll talk about the 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 way that blind gets work. We have sales reps that go out there and are constantly out in the social social space, like in real space, talking to art buyers, agency art directors, producers to see if there's a project that's a, that we're a good fit for. And that's how we've been able to sustain ourselves for the last two decades. And we use sales reps. I also have an executive producer who also goes out to, to mingle at functions and to make sure that people who are in the buying of creative services are seeing that person. Now, one of the advantages of being a consistent company run by one owner is you develop relationships that are now 20 years deep. So a lot of the new job leads in the brand design consultancy space really come from those relationships. And I'll give you an example. Uh, one of our biggest clients is a company called Hudson Pacific Properties. They're, I think, a $12 billion real commercial real estate development company. The way that we got this client was the one of my um, uh, real estate brokers who helped us acquire our space and the spaces before the space that we're in today, they reached out to talk about some branding needs and I helped them. And so one of their clients is Hudson Pacific. So it's this network of people that you know, and it's important um, that you communicate to people from time to time, uh, especially the ones that you've known for a really long time, that you change. You're not that little kid. You're not that 12-year-old kid. You're not the 18-year-old kid who's really into 80s hair bands or whatever <laughs> it is that you're into. You know, things change. So it's important that you kind of update and refresh people out in the world because they don't spend a lot of time thinking about you. They've got their own troubles. And this is one of the things that I think designers neglect. They think, well, I'm super special and good. Everybody should just be hiring me and giving me work. So when you update your status, either in, in real life or on your social feeds and you're connected to people, they're like, oh, I didn't know you did that now. And so you kind of have to keep doing that very consistently throughout. Otherwise, people have other things that they think about and you kind of fade away. And when it comes to the future, the way the future gets work, we do run ad campaigns. Right now we're running three ad campaigns, mostly on Facebook. They're the most effective for us because we can target very specific people. We do a little bit of retargeting and for your audience that may or may not know what that is. So if you land on a piece of content of ours and it shows that you're, an, you're interested in something very specific, we might want to retarget you. If you put something in your shopping cart and you abandoned it for some reason and you just left it there, 
we might retarget you and you'll see an ad from us follow you around for some period of time. And that's per- pretty much how we get business. So you're, you know, I think that that's a really interesting point. When one of the things I talk a lot about is how designers can bulletproof their careers, you know, mm-hmm. because the agency landscape is changing so dramatically and the, you know, the requirements of a designer or an entrepreneur to survive in today's business environment are so different than they used to be. Is there a particular skill, you know, in that you see as being one that, be, and let's say besides business acumen skills, that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, is really important in today's business environment to, or design environment in order to kind of bulletproof your career? Okay. If you're coming in from a traditional design background, I would say that you need to build your house on a really strong foundation, that you master the fundamentals. And so many people want to do the flashy, cool stuff. And we see this happen all the time in the critiques that we do on our show is they're into the flash and they have no foundation. They have they don't understand solid design principles that will last them an entire lifetime. So I would invest time and energy there. I would also say that there's a world of knowledge out there that you can tap into that's available for very small amounts of money in the form of books, in form of podcasts, shows like yours, Phil, um, you, other YouTube things, and most of them are free. You can also go to uh, conventions and events and functions like that. That's also another way in which I'm able to connect with people, learn learn from uh, from other speakers, but also every once in a while I bump into a client that I don't even under, that I didn't even know was there. They start talking to me, we follow up, and then they, they're converted into becoming a client of ours. And that's fantastic. The other thing I think you need to do is, here, here's what I'm gonna say, it's like, look at yourself every five years, look backwards. This is the one time I give you permission to look backwards and take an account of where you've been. If you haven't seen a lot of progress, growth, and change, that is a red flag. If you're an agency, a studio, a solopreneur, if you're a partnership, if you're still doing the same work, if you still love the same style, if you're still communicating the same platforms and you haven't evolved very much, that's a sure sign that you may be hitting an iceberg pretty soon. This happens to so many super talented designers. They burn really hot. They get all this work. They win all the awards in the annuals. And we've seen this happen time and time again if you've been around long enough. Then somehow... They just fade away from the psyche of like what is cool and what is good now. And the new thing emerges. And this is how evolution works, right? The old goes out, the new comes in. So there's always room for new people to come in. And this is a danger. If you're not paying attention to what's going on, you're going to wind up there. So I see many former design professors like, oh, the web, I, I just, I don't get it. Oh, video, uh, you know, it's like too much trickery and, and visual gimmicks. I don't want to do that. Oh, social media marketing, like that's a fad that's going to last, what, one, two years? That's not going to go anywhere. And so you see them stuck in this kind of dogma that this has always worked, this is always going to work, and this is how I want to do it forever. And if you can do that, fantastic. But there are so many other greater opportunities out there for you to apply what you know and your skill. That's that's why I'm like, you just got to pay attention when opportunity knocks on the door that you open it at least. So there's a there's a struggle in designers Mm -hmm. as to whether they should be, because there are so many platforms and so many ways of, you know, getting involved in design or business and you can be a generalist or you can be a specialist, right? You can go Mm -hmm. really deep into video or video editing or special effects, or you can, you know, do a little identity design, a little strategy, a little this, a little that. In 
today's changing environment, um, how would you recommend people to approach that? Like what you should focus in on? Yeah. Well, I whether have- whether being a generalist is more, you know, a better way to bulletproof your career or better, you mm, know, I being see. a specialist. And I think okay. also this is certainly to a certain extent contextual because I've been on the global mm-hmm. agency side and the global corporation side is, mm-hmm. you know, if you're in-house in corporate, sometimes specializing can be really great. And mm-hmm. when you're in an agency, sometimes a great career move is to be more of a generalist because then you're, you know, being valuable on a number of different fronts when, you know, you right. lose a client or revenues goes down and the ax falls, right? Mm-hmm. So is it, do you think it's contextual or do you think that there's a certain approach that maybe is above and beyond an a other, a different one? Mm. I, I think there's an approach and you, you be the judge and tell me if it's, it's not the answer you're looking for. But what I recommend people do is externally show expertise and very narrow focus. It makes it a lot easier for you to market yourself and to get work and to be known for something. Marty Newmary talks about this in the way that the, the, the mind is mapped. It's like a bental box for every category of thing that we can think about. We have room for maybe one or two things. Like when you say uh, MP3 player, you think of iPod automatically or a personal computer. You're going to either say Apple, Dell or, or Alienware or whatever brand that you're thinking. And that's kind of all the room there is. I think the same goes for fill in the blank, graphic designer, brand consultant, strategist. There's a couple of slots in there for each person's brain. And if you're too spread out, it's very hard for them to figure out, like, hmm, you're, you're this strange thing. It's not to say that you can't be freaking amazing, awesome at a lot of different things, but just people can't comprehend that. So my, my advice is externally be a specialist, but internally be a generalist. So you're marketing that, let's just say you're a great concept artist, and that's what you market out there. I like to do uh, science fiction concept art for feature films. Boom. We understand that. That's what the world knows you for. But inside, like you're, you're reading philosophy, you're studying figure drawing, you're understanding graphic design or interior design. And it makes you a really rich person. So when you get called for an opportunity, you walk in. Yeah, OK, I'm designing the spaceship, but all of a sudden I'm designing the interior. But you oh, you need some costume design. I can do that. And I always loved your work. I wonder why I loved it so much. Well, that's because I started to integrate typography and lettering and and alien languages into the ships that I would design because I started to learn about that. And then you, you understand cultures and maybe you get into sociology or anthropology, whatever it is. And I think that's wonderful. Okay. So now some people are like, wait, 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 how, how do I reconcile this? So I have one more metaphor that I'd like to share that seems to help a lot of people. I think you in your creative totality are like this giant beam of light. And if I had a flashlight, I would shine it right into this lens right now. And what would happen is you'd get this amazing lens flare, but you'd be like, oh, it's a little bit too bright. It's a little bit too much for me to process. And if you don't understand, just look at the sun. It'll be too much for you to process, right? But here's the cool thing. You filter light through a prism, and then you see it's red, orange, yellow, blue, green, indigo, violet. You see all these wonderful colors. So this is the part that I think you need to make a decision. This white light is you. You get to pick which spectrums of color that you want to show different people. So I'm a father. I'm a husband, a teacher. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an owner. Uh, I'm a client sometimes. And so sometimes I show just the red spectrum, the cool spectrum, or somewhere in between. But very rarely do I show somebody the full white light because it's a little bit too much. It's a little too intense for people. So you can bring them in on the cooler colors and then eventually graduate them towards this other thing. And they're like, wow. 
you are this kind of amazing triple threat, let's say. You can sing, dance, and act. That's incredible. But maybe not at the beginning. I love that. I love that analogy. I'm going to use that. (laughs) (laughs) Please do. That's a great one. This episode of the Brand Design Masters podcast is sponsored by Bring Your Own Laptop. BYOL.me is a top-tier Adobe application video training website featuring Daniel Scott. Daniel's a certified Adobe trainer and keynote speaker at the Adobe Max conference every year. At BYOL.me forward slash Philip, you can learn everything from the basics to advanced aspects of your favorite Adobe applications, all for one low monthly subscription fee. Visit BYOL.me forward slash Philip. P-H-I-L-I-P. Again, that's B-Y-O-L dot M-E forward slash Philip. I just know you're going to be amazed at Bring Your Own Laptops courses. What keeps, you know, one of the things I also focus on a lot on my channel is trend. And I mm. I came up in the fashion retail. So I was in fashion retail for 15 years, traveled the globe, you know, went shopping everywhere, discovering trend. And um, so I love keeping my eyes open for trend. And and when you see themes emerge, bringing those together and kind of combining them into a a particular picture, right, of something that you see that's congealing, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do you stay inspired? You know, you obviously are an incredible, you know, creative, you know, realm of businesses as well as a realm of clients. But, you know, we are creatives. We are, you know, entrepreneurs. How do you stay inspired? Hmm. I'm going to give you a little secret. Be around young people. Young people don't buy into your BS. Young people don't buy into old ideas or platforms. So they constantly are challenging. And and unfortunately, they're also living in a very disposable space. And I, I think that's wonderful because I kind of pick through their trash. So I look at what my, my boys do. I have a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old. I, I teach young people all the time. When I was teaching at Art Center, they're they're in their 20s, they're in their college age, and so they're kind of coming into their own voice. And I watch what they watch. So they have all this inordinate like free time, and this is wonderful because they can move around the internet and scrape all these cool things. And every once in a while, I see something that's interesting. I'm like, uh, where'd you find that? Can you send me a link? To that? That's very interesting. And then they do. So I use them as a feeder network. So they're filtering a lot of garbage out there, and I only pick apart the things that I like. But here's the thing, and I think the way that trends work in terms of design and fashion is they go in cycles, things come and go. I think you need to be open to like what's coming in and process that and absorb some of that into the work, but not worry too much because if you're working on really solving problems, this is wonderful because then it's not about style or fashion. And it's like, okay, I understand this is the problem. And even though this is not my own personal style, this corduroy suit might work really well for you with these really bright suede shoes. And that's what it seems like that's the natural pairing. So for me, as a consumer and creator of things, I just want to have a really broad spectrum of what my visual palette is going to be, to have general knowledge about photography, architecture, and fashion, and to explore all those things. Luckily for me, I'm turned on by all this kind of stuff, right? Like I'm I'm not saying that I'm a fashion expert, but I like to look at things in GQ magazine or whatever, and to look on Pinterest or on Instagram accounts like, oh, that's that's really neat. I didn't realize that combination worked. And I also like architecture and interior design. So I'm constantly scraping for information all the time because I want to be uh, as versatile as I can, as have a broad of a palette as possible. So then that when a client or a problem comes into play, I can find the right solution and marry those two together. 
I'm going to use your analogy in the reverse and say that okay. it's almost like that prism being diversified into the separate colors, taking your inspiration in from your 14 year old and from all these different avenues are kind of converging through the prism and becoming the white light that is Chris Doe in his mm. in his inspiration. <laughs> um, so it's kind of the reverse prism. Um, I, have one, one, I have one more thought on this. Yeah. If I may share with you, Phil. Yeah. Um, when we came to America, I'm, I'm a first generation immigrant and we're refugees from Vietnam. We, we basically started over anew in this wonderful country and we didn't have a lot of money. So basically the tools that we had available to us were fairly limited uh, compared to what I can afford to provide to my kids. Like glue was like little uh, old pieces of rice that we'd have to roll up into a ball and smash together. My box of crowns was like 12 from Crayola. And so whenever you'd walk into the, the drugstore, I'm like, hmm, look at that box of 128 crowns. What I could do with those many shades of colors or that marker set, you know, it's like four colors versus like this giant pack. And money was the thing that kept us from that. But I was thinking now as an adult where uh, to, to kind of continue the analogy, I just want to have more crowns and, and tools and toys <laughs> to make stuff with because you're kind of like uh, I remember um, Lou, Lou, Lou Danziger, one of the graphic design history teachers at Art Center, uh, a legend in his own right. Uh, he would say, if you want to change your style, just change your tool. That's as, 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 as easy as it's going to be. If you always draw with a pencil, try a ruling pen, try a brush, try a stick, like a piece of wood that you grab from the from outside. Just do that. So I want to be the kid who's got a lot of different instruments to create with. And that's why I say that. Another thing that designers have a tendency to be self-centered, right? And mm -hmm. they are they can be very heads down about the creative, about the work. And when it comes to selling their work or selling themselves, sometimes they're a little bit too much about themselves. And as branding people, and as you said in a previous video of yours that I watched, was that you, you consider yourself a business problem solver, which is what mm -hmm. we do. We listen to the problems of our clients and we solve those business problems problems with design, with branding, with strategy. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, we have to listen to what their clients' needs are, what their customers' needs are, and address mm -hmm. the customers' needs. So I'm always harping on the fact that designers really need to take the consumer mindset and communicate in a customer-centric way, rather than, you know, you get to their website and they say, hi, I'm Joe Blow, and I know InDesign, and I'm a fantastic animator, and me, 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 me. It's really more about communicating about who the viewer is, who the visitor is, and what they need, and addressing that right away. What's what, what kind of is your point of view on that in terms of designers and their understanding or approach to uh, consumer-centric communication? When, when I, I used to teach at Art Center, I would talk to my students about the two things that designers or creative people need. They need to be, uh, they, they have to have empathy, and they have to be able to imagine things that they cannot see. Those are two key traits. So let's talk about empathy for a second. Empathy is your ability to understand and look at the world through another person's point of view, right? So that you can understand what they're going through. So if you're so focused on yourself and you've got the lens inverted and, and all you can do is see your own problems, well, you can't really relate to other people. You can't relate to your client and you can't relate to the client's customer. So one of the exercises that we do is we, we try to ask our students when they're designing something, pretend like you're a rock. Like you're, you don't have a mouth, you don't have eyes. Like, what are you thinking right now? And so through a couple of 
stabs at this, eventually they let go of their own persona. Now I want to say like you're a little dog. So now we're, we're at least moving around and you're a 12 year old girl with freckles. What are you thinking about? Like if you're at the beach and what are you wearing? Like we get into all the senses and, and kind of ask them to imagine themselves. I, I kind of describe the process as mind walking instead of sleepwalking. You're mind walking. You're walking out of your mind into somebody else's. And I think IDEO uses the term design thinking, which is really just about empathy. And we need to understand that. Now, once we have a point of view that's not our own, all of a sudden, we can use all of our creativity to solve very complex problems. I was, I'm reading this book called One Plus One Equals Three. In the book, the author talks about uh, creative people are really great at connecting dots. We're wonderful at saying sandwich, rocket ship. Boom, we can put those two together. And and regular people, like non-creative people, are like sandwich is always a sandwich and rockets are always rockets. The two shall never mix, right? So he says, this is fantastic, but here's the problem is that creative people, generally designers, have too few dots. They're just really vertically aligned. So what we have to do is we have to expand those dots outwards. So when we're saying it's all about me, 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 very egocentric, well, you're just looking at your little dots. But you can actually be very valuable, not only to yourself, but to your customer, your client, by helping them to see like, wow, OK, I can see now that business people who are visiting your fast casual restaurant, they need to get in and out really quick because they got to get back to the grind. So what can we do as a company? What opportunities exist to solve that pain point? There's a gap, right? So we can solve that via using an app, separating a curbside pickup thing or a fast menu where there's only six items to choose from and we can get you in and out in two minutes. Now you've dramatically impacted that person's business. Now notice we've not talked about like you need a new logo or the interior design isn't quite right. Well, that's really about you imposing your own taste, style, and sensibility on other people. And if you don't think, if you think that's a, a fun time, invite people to come to your house and then let them rearrange your furniture while unprompted. Like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't like this chair and the TV is all wrong. It's like, wait, wait, don't touch my stuff. This is the way I like it. So, and this is what you're doing. You're going to someone else's house and you're going to rearrange their furniture unprompted without understanding anything about their needs and how they use things. And that's the real problem. And I think if I could wish something for your audience, if you're if you're younger on the 18 year old side, if you're just entering college or you're just getting out to really rethink your approach to design and how you want to solve problems. I love that. That's and, you know, putting those disparate items together are what our clients do for us to a certain extent. Right. They come to us and they say, I have this airplane, I have this sandwich and I have to figure out how they're going to relate to each other. And that's when those dots start to form for us, which I think is really mm -hmm. interesting. And that's one of the things I've always loved about the agency world and design and, and branding to begin with is we get brought these very um you know, a, a completely different industry that we're not familiar mm -hmm. with. Like I, I did a brand identity for, for GE who make jet engines. And part right. of that was that we got to go to the GE jet engine testing facility, which is in the mountains of Ohio in military, you know, cordoned off 2000 acre, you know, mountains where they mm -hmm. take a 747 engine, they hang it from the ceiling and they run it for five days straight and then they throw a frozen turkey into it to see which way wow. it explodes. And seeing that and being exposed to that was just like so amazing. And it brought so many different ideas into my head. And I approached that testing facility in such a different way 
than everyone who worked there and was very familiar with it. Is there an example of a client or brand or project for you that was one of those kind of mind expanding experiences where you just thought, it's so cool that I'm in in this industry and getting exposed to this? Mm. I actually don't have one specific example. That was a wonderful example that you have. But I feel blessed every single day that clients still call us. They, they ask us to solve very complex problems. And oftentimes they ask us to solve problems that we're not even really qualified to solve. And I'll give you an example uh, that that real estate development company I talked about. They invite us to one day design their showroom. And I, I don't have a background in interior design. I don't really understand that so well. But what they said to me was, we really love your ideas, your creativity, and your sense of story. And with that, I was like, okay, let me think about this from the point of view of your customer. So when a broker takes a prospect to the showroom, there's a narrative that's being built, whether or not they intend to have one or not. So we looked at just once you walk inside the building, what happens? What happens when you're just pulling up in your car? Like, what does that look like? So each one is an opportunity to tell a little bit of a story. And I'll give you a really great example, okay? Recently, I was in Hollywood. I was at the Noman School for Digital Artists, um, and it's a wonderful resource to learn things. And I was just walking through, getting a really quick tour, and the way I was brought through the space, I was thinking, this is genius, the way they do this. So they have about 34,000 square feet or so in Hollywood. That's a lot of space for a school. And I was sitting there thinking, they took me through the gallery first. Like who who saves saves all this space to have a gallery? Well, because now you're you're looking at this work as art, and it's put up literally on a pedestal. So there there's uh, sculptures, busts of like creatures and science fiction robots and things like that. There's wonderful renderings, and you're like, wow. If I was a student, a potential student, I'm walking in there with my mom and dad. I was like, see, this is real. This is really cool. Look at what they're doing. And throughout the space. There are framed prints of famous mo uh, movies, uh, all kinds of movies. Presumably, this is the industry we're going to work in. This is going to be fantastic. And they're situated in Hollywood in like the old studio back lot, like in bungalow. So this is wonderful storytelling if you think about it. They could have been in Beverly Hills. They could have been in Koreatown, but they weren't. They're in Hollywood. They're selling the Hollywood dream to anybody that's coming in. And they did that, a couple other things. Uh, the design of the hallways and the classrooms are very different than anything I've ever seen in, 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 in normal schools. They design them like spaceships. So the desks are all weird and there's metal and chain and things look rusty and bolted together as if you stepped on the deck of the Nebuchadnezzar from the Matrix. And it's all angular and weird and the doors have plating on it. Emergency exits are different. It looks like you stepped inside a spaceship. And then they have uh, arcade cabinets with uh, – classic games and you're thinking man if i was a 15 year old kid this is my this is my dream and so without saying a single word without giving a brochure or pamphlet there's no marketing videos they told a story through space and i was thinking I, I made a remark to the two guys i was there with look at what they're doing here and they said back and I'm like oh my god i didn't even realize what was happening to me so these are wonderful opportunities so if you're Paying attention, if you're really learning to see and you're looking at things for the first time in, in new ways, the world is your teacher and it's a wonderful palette. So when clients ask me, will you take on this assignment, I, I give them a little um, uh, 
kind of disclaimer that this isn't the thing that I do, but if you want me to do it, I, I'm happy to do it. So now they asked me to consult on virtual reality experiences. And what do I know about that? But I do know story. I think that uh, kind of what you're talking about is experience design, right? And I mm -hmm. know that, yes. you know, I could do an entire hour with you on experience design because, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, virtual reality, AI, you know, um, retail environments like you're talking about the furniture showroom where you got to rearrange someone's furniture, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, <laughs> I was invited. Yes. And you didn't know anything about how they were going to react. Um, right. it, I think that, that that holistic approach to all of the senses and how they relate to a brand experience is, you know, a much larger subject and something I would just love to talk to you about. But I'm afraid we're going to have to wrap it up. But I want to end with the one question I ask everybody, which is, okay. do you have a personal mantra or some sort of manifesto that Chris Doe likes to try to live by? Uh, you, you prepped me for this. So I made some notes here. So I I don't normally walk around thinking, here's my mantra. I just live my life. And sometimes when somebody asks me, I have to take an accounting of, oh, what is it that I think? So here's a couple of things I want to share with your audience. One is I think we need to change the language in which we describe experiences. For example, when we don't win at something, if we don't quite hit our target, we look at that as a very negative experience. When we try new things, it's termed as a failure to us. And a failure isn't anything that anybody wants to hold on to. It's a horrible feeling. But if we change the words in which we describe the emotional that we the emotion that we connect with the experience, what we should look at is that was a learning opportunity. And that was another way that I found that didn't work. And I'm on a quest on finding a way that does work. So one of the greatest things that you can do is to get get rid of the fear that you feel in trying to do something new. And, and that is critical. Because what happens is we start to do the things that we know are going to succeed over and over again. Then one day we wake up and we find that we're in a rut and what has happened to life that we've dreamt of having. And we feel old and crusty and life isn't um, as fun as it used to be. We're not full of energy. So that's one thing I would wish for people to kind of think about and be very careful with the words you choose to describe experiences. So when somebody's giving you a critique, they're not attacking you. And that's probably the word you're you're attaching to. They're not disrespecting you. They're sharing their knowledge with you. And you could choose later on to do it or not. And that's entirely up to you. So I think if you can have this life philosophy, this attitude, it's going to change everything. Well, that was one. You had another note? Oh, I, yeah, I have many more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> give okay. me one, give me one more. Sure. I was like, I got to give you one more. Well, one of the things I love is is to say this, is that action beats intent. We all have these ideas. We have these desires. Tomorrow I'm going to lose 50 pounds. I'm going to be in the best shape of my life. But that's kind of it. And so I was reading somewhere or I was listening to something about how you get it. Is it a dopamine hit? Like when you say something and you feel really good, like, yes. And so for a lot of people now, just saying it is good enough for them that they don't actually have to do anything. And that's a danger. So if you suffer from this, if you if you often tell people, I'm going to do this, I'm going to go travel the world and you wind up not doing it. One of the ways that you curb that is you're not allowed to say anything anymore. The only way that you can share that concept is when you actually do it. So that's a way to kind of self edit, to monitor your own way, your own behaviors so that you can actually do more of what you what it is that you want to do. And the last thing I want to say this to you and I, I want to say this to all creative people, especially is Learn to listen to your heart. Your heart knows what's right. Your heart 
uh, it has your best interest. So when your heart's telling you something like, that seems like a really controlling client who's going to ruin my life for the next three months, don't take that job. And if your heart is saying, we're not happy doing this thing, grinding away at this corporate job, listen to it. It knows what's good for you. And don't deny what it wants. Follow your heart. It's going to make you happy, healthy, and it's going to make you wealthier than you've ever been. Chris, awesome. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. I really appreciate it. And um, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on almost all platforms. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on YouTube. So you can find us in two easy ways. One is look for it. The future is here. The future is not spelt with an E. And, you know, because we're designers. That's how we do things. Or you can look for me. I'm at the Chris Doe. And Doe is spelled D-O. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, sir. Appreciate your time. Thank Have you very much, Phil. If you'd like to help support the Brand Design Masters podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you want to stay up to date on all our content, products, courses, and live video shows, head over to philipvandusen.com slash muse and sign up for the Brand Muse newsletter. That's where we share all the latest news, resources, articles, books, and videos that we recommend to help you build and improve your creative practice, personal brand, and business. That's philipvandusen.com slash muse, M-U-S-E. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.